Welcome back to the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook. I am your host, Lucky, taking you on this journey into love and literature. And with me always is my co-host, Mac W. Money, broadcasting to you live from Portland, Oregon. Or am I broadcasting to you from beyond the grave? That's right, folks. It is our spooky book, our spooky season with spooky music and sound effects. Rattle, rattle, rattle. Ooh, ghosts. Lucky put them in post. It's hard to find these. Okay, I don't want to like, I don't want to part the curtain for our listeners, but it is hard to find these sound effects. You can't just keep throwing random ones in. You got to talk to me before. We have Oh, look, it's Dracula. Lucky put Dracula in here. I want to eat you, kids. Sorry, that was a clip I found online um, from the new upcoming Twilight movie. (laughs) The reboot. The reboot where they really lean into Dracula being from, like Dracula A being in there. B, being from, like, hardcore Transylvania, Castle, all that good stuff. Not the one they did on Netflix where Dracula gets all sexy and goes on Tinder and, like, just, like, slays it. <laughs> now I'm not talking about that Dracula. This is Dracula you can party with. I mean, okay, fine. We could talk about cool cocaine Dracula for a second. He does get sexy. That show does have the worst vampire puns. They're looking a little drained, if you're remembering correctly. <laughs> I thought you didn't drink count dracula i don't drink <laughs> wine damn i do gotta say it now that we're getting into it i would recommend that show to anybody but that's not the dracula i'm talking about i'm talking about, not- i'm talking about before the sexification when he is an old grimy count with big teeth that is the twilight movie a reboot i want to see that's not what we will be reading <laughs> this week that's right folks we're gonna be moving into something a little spookier for our next book uh Wittershins by jordan l hawk the story uh, of a secret love made even spookier by cult magics. We're heading into the past and beyond the grave this week uh, with a little bit of a horror story. It's going to break into some new grounds because not only is this our first creepy book, it is going to be our first book with uh, a couple of dudes making out, uh, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. We're hoping for any amount of romance at any point way quicker um, we got some, we're sticking with dry humping, right? That's what happened in the last book. We got Mostly. a little bit of that. Not super romantic, I would say. No. If anything, it was like about repressed sexual desires, mm. um, which uh, this is a gay couple in Victorian era England. So hopefully the repression will be at an all time low. Do you want to hear a little bit more about Wittershins? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into the, uh, the back of the book, as it were. Yeah. So this is the first book in a series uh, that does very successful um, but we're only going to be reading the first book, Wittershins. It's part of the Wyborn and Griffin series. Uh, and this is from Goodreads. Some things should stay buried. The repressed scholar Percival <laughs> Endicott Wyborn has been selected. No. Oh, no. <laughs> the repressed scholar Percival Endicott Wyborn has two skills, reading dead languages and hiding in his office at the Ladysmith Museum. After the tragic death of the friend he secretly loved, he's ruthlessly suppressed any desires for another man. Ruthless is such a crazy word to put in there. Like, ruthlessly (laughs) suppressed? What a crazy emotion to do to yourself. Like, you do never feel that. Keep that down. I imagine he's, like, hacking away at his porn collection with rapier. (laughs) That's what comes to mind when you say ruthlessly suppressing. You're right. I gotta start thinking in terms of Victorian era. Like, how about the dark thoughts? And he's, like, cutting up um, a double member. So, when handsome ex-Pinkerton Griffin Flattery approaches him to translate a mysterious book, Wyborn wants to finish the job and get rid of the detective as quickly as possible. Griffin left the Pinkertons following the death of his partner, hoping to start a new life. 
but the powerful cult which murdered Glenn has taken root in Wittershins, which I guess is a location in the book, apparently. And only the spells in the book can stop them. Spells the intellectual Wyborn doesn't believe are real. So who is with Glenn? Because we kind of we just get Glenn thrown in there. Glenn's a mystery. <laughs> Glenn just gets introduced. I'm guessing that that is Gre- Glenn is Griffin's dead lover, not the secret Percival dead lover from earlier, who maybe will come no. up later. So both Wyborn and Griffin have dead male lovers. Got it. That they're getting over. So. In this period, to mourn would be to write your lover like you write a letter to your lover like you would in uh, Civil War times, but then just burn it. <laughs> Come to my house, find my hand cranked vibrator, and <laughs> destroy it before my mom can find it. Dear Glenn, delete my newspaper history. <laughs> burn my newspaper. <laughs> Dear Glenn, take the rapier and destroy my porno collection. <laughs> ruthlessly suppress it. Ruthlessly suppress my dark thoughts, Glenn. Uh, and there's more. More to this description. Um, as the investigation draws the two men closer, Griffin's rakish charm threatens to shatter Wyborn's iron control and butt. Yeah. <laughs> when the cult resurrects an evil sorcerer who commands terrifying monsters, can Wyborn overcome his fear and learn to trust? Will Griffin let go of his past and risk falling in love? Or will Griffin's secrets cost Wyborn both his heart and his life? An interesting thing about this, you know, the selection was a bigger read. That was a lot. There's going to be a lot that's going to happen in this book. <laughs> that kept going. Yeah. Kept going. That, I mean, that last like sentence run on where you get an evil sorcerer with terrifying monsters and the heart and the iron butt. I mean, we've only got <laughs> 240 pages for this book, folks. How are we going to get all of that crammed into that tight space? Wittershins and the whole Wyborn and Griffin uh, cycle are written by Jordan L. Hawk, who is uh, really active on social media. So I feel like we, we got we got a little contact with Kira Cass. I foresee us really getting in contact with Jordan because uh, he has tons of answers on Goodreads. There are questions you can ask the author, and there's almost a hundred questions that he has responded to from fans. Simple stuff, just like, when's the new book coming out? Did you ever consider hooking these two characters up? And he, like, graciously is answering every question. So uh, we should we should be careful what we say, first of all. But I'm not pulling my punches, Jordan. This is our moment, right? We're either going to become best friends with an author, or we make our first archenemy. I think we could become good friends with Jordan. Uh, do you want to hear a little bit more about him? I do, yes, of course. Okay, so he has a couple different bios, but I found this one on Amazon. Jordan L. Hawk grew up in the wilds of North Carolina, where he was raised on stories of hanks and mountain magic by his bootlegging granny and single mother. Huh. After using a silver knife in the light of a full moon to summon his true love. Wait. Wait. <laughs> he turned his talents to spinning tails. He weaves together couples who need to fall in love, then throws in some evil sorcerers and undead just to make sure they want it bad enough. In Jordan's world, love might conquer all, but it just as easily could end up in the grave. Ooh, okay. I like that spooky twister at the end. So pretty good. Raised on stories of haints and mountain magic by a bootlegging granny and single mother. That like immediately qualifies you to write good horror stories in my book. Plus, I don't think the word haint gets enough play in today's world. Nobody I just talks assumed, about haints anymore. I just assumed you were talking about Heinz ketchup the whole time. It's the spookiest ketchup on the market. It looks like blood, kinda. I think we're a pro-condiment show. It's good to take stances on things. I think in this day and age where taking stances is very important, um, I'd like to get out there and say, the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook, we are pro-condiments. Not on everything. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. 
Not on everything. Okay. You, oh, you I, can't squirt ketchup on the cereal. That's sometimes fucking insane. You have to ruthlessly suppress use of condiments. <laughs> That's why you have that secret closet upstairs for all of your dark urges, and you just shove them in there and ruthlessly get them suppressed. Lucky, you are the one who stumbled across Witter Shins. Uh, what about it like made you want to bring it to the table? Well, I gotta say, it was kind of tough finding a combination horror romance. You know, weirdly enough, those are kind of opposite ends of the reading spectrum. What really excited me was this kind of seems like a half and half. Like, we're going to get this nice uh, romance where, obviously, one of the characters is getting over a loss and they're getting to know each other. And um, in my research, they're going to be saying member a lot, which also just cracked me up to no end. I think that's a very hilarious way to refer to a penis. Like, uh, like I'm, oh, I would say like a member of a very specific club. Right, right. But not at all. But the like The Pen penis. 15 Club. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I can't, I can't believe I walked into that one. The other half of the excitement came from um, the idea that this is going to be following the Lovecraft, the Lovecraft realm yeah. of mythology, the, the mythos cults of and uh, bringing about you know monsters and uh, eldritch secrets. Yeah, exactly. There's so many things now in pop culture where we're seeing kind of the Lovecraft mythos come out in. You know, we've got Lovecraft Country, we've got even Stranger Things. I would say like the monster style of that. Um, and just like doing the research, I was trying to get a sense of what this is going to be like in the book. It's really interesting. We're going to be dealing with like crazy monsters and magic that doesn't make sense, but like in a very violent and aggressive way. You know, it's definitely not a PG style of mythology. Yeah, I really liked the selection, but I was happy to see this come across my desk because it does seem like it's going to be like rated R, not only in terms of the horror, but the romances is going to have um, some actual physicality to it which wasn't really possible with a young adult book yeah i think there were a lot of other emotions that they were, she was trying to figure out and get across and that's what the young adult genre is like this book however i feel is going to be much more trended toward the adult it'll be it'll be great to read a book about two men getting together too like you know we've read so yeah. many different combinations bear on woman uh spaceship on i guess planet um we've got you know i guess dry humping so it'll be nice to have some physical <laughs> lovemaking between two humanoids. And I, okay, that does bring up my other point. I really, really hope there are no tentacles. I'm so, I like, I love it. I'm super on board with the book. I'm terrified that we're going to get a little tent play. Anything is possible when you open up that Necronomicon. Uh, anything, <laughs> anything goes, as it were. I'm not, I Anything be... ghost. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> This is just going to be four episodes of endless puns. It'll be us interrupting each other <laughs> to throw the puns in, and I think that's perfect. I think that's going to be a great four episodes. Uh, and I, I will say that as a gay man, I was excited to read like a gay book. Um, that was something that I think consciously we were like wanting to move towards is like maybe different type. Obviously. <laughs> When we start our podcast with a woman and a bear romance, we're clearly veering all over the map. Uh, and weirdly, this will be like somehow our most normal relationship, because at least these two men are on the same level. This isn't like, I would say the disparity between Maxon and America was larger than what we'll get between Wyborn and Griffin. To go back to the point you mentioned earlier about Lovecraft being really prevalent in the modern day, it's funny because there was a lot of sentiments of like racism, anti-Semitism in his work, which sort of it'd be, it's counterintuitive to think that he would become relevant again in the modern day. But weirdly, there's like this 
you take that notion of fear of the unknown of something inside yourself and it's when Lovecraft did it, it comes off as a little racist at times, but there's a lot of artists coming out today that are using that to tell stories that, you know, give power to people who are minorities, people of color, um, and in the queer community. We've seen so much from Jordan Peele, right? Like he's one of my favorite examples just with what he's been doing in the horror genre. Obviously talked about the ends of the earth, but he has his hand in Lovecraft country as well. And I just like, he just, he does such a good job at representing something that I think I'll never understand. And it's nice to be able to see it through a lens of like popular media where everybody's talking about it. And I, I feel like this sense of community and communication about something I have just no concept of. This is, I have always felt that there's this great, like queer kernel at the heart of Lovecraft. Not that he was gay, but the idea that like there could be something inside of you that's really like scary and unknown. And you have to like come to terms with the fact that you might be related to like the deep ones from Innsmouth that you might have this like dark lineage that you didn't know about that kind of plays into uh, feeling gay and not really wanting to confront it. So um, I've always been drawn to his work as, as a gay man. And so to see like a gay book tackle, maybe some Lovecraft stuff is a really cool idea to me. I'm interested to see how that is tackled in this book as well. I think that Jordan, you know, We've seen some of the responses he's had. We've seen some of the reviews, obviously, without trying to give ourselves any spoilers. And it seems like he's got like a really great following. The book, the book is really well received. I'm, I'm very excited to dive into this and just uh, get, get a sense of what, uh, what it was like to try to fall in love in a time where love was maybe like maybe had to be hidden, and then also a giant sorcerer with monsters and shit is chasing you. I'm hoping that we don't get too into like the reality of the situation. Of I mean, obviously he's repressed, but I'm hoping that that comes from his losses rather than the time period. I always thought it was funny where you have stories that take place in a world where ancient gods are rising from the sea and cults are casting magic spells on people. And yet racism and homophobia still have to exist within that world. Like what a weird trade-off you've, you've invented a world of magics and yet, but, 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 but people are still uncomfortable with homosexuals. That's yeah, like great. Draws a line in the sand. So cool. Some people get magic powers, too. And then also we still have to deal with all of this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. October is not just the spooky month. Uh, It is also LGBT History Month all around the world. And in uh, light of that, I just want to highlight a great organization out there called the Trans Lifeline. It's a trans-led organization that connects trans people to the community for support and resources that they need to survive and thrive. Uh, This is a hotline you can call for support if you feel like you need that. Uh, They've answered over 100,000 calls, and it is, in fact, the only peer support line that's run by trans and non-binary people. So when you call, that's Mm. who's going to be on the other line as someone who understands your situation. You can head over to translifeline.org to get some more information. And if you are able to make a donation, they're doing really great work over there. Um, and they have that. We'll, we'll be posting the number uh, as well if you need to get in touch with them. Um, but a great organization. I love what they're doing. They do a lot with a little uh, and they could use as much support as um, you're able to give. So in honor of these two cool things coinciding in October, Spooky Time and LGBT History, we each episode for Wittershins, we are also going to be taking a look at some examples of gay horror. And some of them are going to be really good. Some of them are going to be really bad. Uh, and just kind of looking at how that genre looks at people in that community. Uh, so this week, Lucky and I watched a cult film from 2009 called Jennifer's Body, directed by Karen mm-hmm. Kusama and written by Diablo Cody. Uh, the movie was not very well received when it came out, but it's definitely developed uh, more of a following and has become kind of like a 
very popular gay horror film. Lucky, what did you, what was your takeaway? You know, it's funny. I, I had a lot of different emotions while we were watching it, right? Because there are so many points where it feels like, okay, this is a little cheesy and hokey. Uh, and there are other times where it feels like, okay, they knew exactly what they were doing when they were writing <laughs> yeah. the dialogue for this. This is genius and incredible. I, um, I like that there were a lot of moments where, you know, it, it felt like the best friend character. Uh, I, I'm, I'm completely forgetting her name. I should have Needy. Up. Needy. God, this is why I'm forgetting her name. <laughs> so anyway, Needy is having this, like, she's falling in love with Jennifer. And uh, th- throughout the movie, we get these like moments of just like her staring at her without Jennifer noticing mm. or like small kind of like romantic connections that I, re- I think are really powerful and are done really well. Mm-hmm. But then Jennifer is like very dumb sometimes in the movie. It just drives me absolutely crazy when she <laughs> just gets Fox in a van with strangers. Jennifer, yeah. I think that it's like part of the movie is the like dumb 2000s era sex comedy. And then the other half of the movie is this like pitch black gay horror comedy. And so you, you like the movie, the filmmakers just smash those two ideas together. And it's like a it's like a sandwich that's really messy, but pretty tasty. Yeah, so far we are pretty pro-condiment this episode. So the movie itself is about um, Jennifer, who is a high schooler. She gets into a van inexplicably with a couple of band members and is taken into the woods and has this cult thing performed on her. Uh, however, instead of being a virgin, she's a little bit loose and is uh, <laughs> inhabited by a succubus demon. And who then she needs to spend the rest of the movie going around and like eating men and stuff as her best friend tries to stop her. That's pretty much the whole movie, I would say. Yeah, it's worth noting that Megan Fox was 24 years old playing a teenager. <laughs> she certainly did not look schooler. like a teenager. <laughs> none of the, none of them looked like teenagers. These uh, all mid twenties people. They were grad students who uh, working undercover. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I like. I guess liked about the movie. One thing I was expecting but didn't get was that we were talking earlier about how sometimes that the horror of what's inside you can work as a metaphor for be like homosexuality. And I thought that Jennifer having this monster inside of her would maybe feel conflicted about that, like her sexuality. Not at all. Jennifer embraces the succubus, loves being the succubus, and in fact kind of loves being a little gay with her uh, best friend Needy. It's sort of Needy who is the one who is repressed a little bit about what those desires and feelings are. So I, yeah. the movie is not very overt with its homosexuality we get a pretty steamy makeout session between these two girls about halfway through the movie and that's about as gay as it gets so it does which is pretty gay admittedly (laughs) certainly that scene also has another weird moment for me in movies like this like you mentioned needy being repressed and that makes a lot of sense to me but i also think you know she's repressed about her feelings she also knows her best friend is murdering and eating people Oh, so that there's was probably cer- the bigger. Yeah, there's issue. certainly that also that she was more upset about. Like, I think to to explain the succubus powers, Jennifer like gouges her arm and then heals instantly. I feel like, dude, if you and I were in a room and you're like, check this shit out, and you chop your hand off and it grows back, I'm gonna be instantly be like, okay, I need a supercomputer. How do I get hold of the mayor so I can get emergency? You're not gonna to want to make out after that. <laughs> you know, strangely enough, if you chop your hand off, making out is probably on the bottom of my list of things to do next. Oh, okay. That explains a lot of why my first dates have gone awry. <laughs> and why you have so many prosthetic limbs. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm excited for a second one whenever they decide to make that, you know, here 11 years later. They do leave it completely open-ended at the end with Needy getting demon powers somehow and escaping the mental institution that she was placed in because of 
like her being crazy that her best friend was a vampire or succubus, whatever. But she like breaks out and has all these powers and it's like kind of like a huge cliffhanger. Yeah, the screenwriter for Jennifer's Body also wrote the movie Juno. So maybe we'll see a sequel where those two movies cross over. Do you think Juno is going to fall in love with Jennifer? Like the town? Yes. And Michael Sarah <laughs> will be eaten in the first scene. Huh? So far, we're actually writing an all right movie. I'm not, I'm, I'm not this started off as a joke, it. but it's turning into, you know, Michael Sarah might actually shit. appreciate that. He might appreciate just right off the bat. Like, you know, I need my paycheck. Got to pay rent. <laughs> Get me out of there. <laughs> this movie doesn't sound great. Mac and Lucky. He's like, I've been in five seasons of Arrested Development. Does that make you a lot of money? No. <sighs> That's the problem with Michael Sarah. He doesn't shut up about Arrested Development. We love it, Michael. We love that you were in it, but move on, bud. Like, get a different role. Yeah, uh, Michael Sarah, if you're listening, please stop writing into the show uh, or we're going to have to change that address. Um, for those of you out there who are not Michael Sarah and want to get in touch with us, feel free to do so. Uh, we're at grbooknook at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Hit us up. Leave a review uh, if you do enjoy the show on uh, Google Podcast or on iTunes. It really makes our day when we see a good one on there. And if it's a bad review, God, just, oh, fuck, it just, God, like, why? You don't have to be so mean, Mom. I promise I will take pictures of Mac while he cries for your bad reviews and post it to our social media sites. If you do want to get our name out there, uh, that is the best way to do it. And also to see Mac's sad, crying face. Uh, like Ma- The GoFundMe for Mac's crying. Don't you mean the GoFundMe? Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you ever had this many in the episode. Sharing the show with your friends is the best way to get our name out there. If you like what we're doing, please let people know about it. Uh, give us a tweet. We will respond to you. Um, we're also looking forward to be talking with Jordan L. Hawk. So if you're liking the show, tweet at him that you like it. Send him a link. All right. We're going to be diving into Wittershins for our next episode. If you want to follow along, uh, I think I found the book on Amazon for just a dollar, which is a crazy good deal. Um, so if you want to follow along our next episode, we're going to be reading chapters one through 10. And that episode is going to drop on October 9th. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Andrew Huang for our song Grind. That is the intro and outro song. A little spooky dancey. Uh, trying to get the energy up before we get into our uh, Ooh, crazy yeah. spooky Rave season. Rave to the grave with that one. Ooh, Good that, lucky. Since we're coming up on the spooky season, and obviously we're trying to keep it romantic here, Mac. What is the sexiest monster? Sexiest monster is Frankenstein's monster because he's got plug and play parts. Oh, so he's like a Mr. Potato Head. That's, you know, exa- exactly. 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 If you had played with me with Mr. Potato Head as a child, you would know how accurate that is. So I like this idea. Because if it's too big, unscrew it. Lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. Boom. He's got an, his member is now substantially larger, smaller. He's got like a briefcase that he brings in that he'll flip open on the bed. Make your choice. As he points to all his different penis options. Yeah. Dr. Frankenstein originally, Frankenstein. you know, he in the original draft, Dr. Frankenstein had like eight penises on the creature. You don't think it's too many, do you? <laughs> it's yeah, it's too, too many, many, doctor. What I don't know why. <laughs> I can only see. Th- I can only see three of them. Where are the other five? Oh, you're gonna have to and sneak around with your fingers. What are you talking about, doctor? <laughs> all of his, all of Doctor Frankenstein's early experiments involved adding extra penises. If you went to him with like a severed hand, he'd be like, "Well, I could reattach your fingers." Or just did an experiment with the place all your fingers with tiny pieces. <laughs>